Welcome to episode 70 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samples. Stress. We all feel it, and it's become a bigger problem with our 24-7 business culture. What if you could take a time machine back to the 80s and start a stress management consultancy before anyone was really talking about stress? Can you imagine being insightful enough to kick off that conversation? Well, you don't have to because today's guest did start her business over 30 years ago, and she shares her journey from startup international motivational speaker and coach. On the Schmooze is proud to be a headliner on C-Suite Radio, which is part of the C-Suite Network, a network of a half million C-level executives. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest is a world authority on executive stress. She is currently CEO of a leading UK stress and well-being consultancy and chair of the International Stress Management Association in UK. In 1988, she founded Stress Awareness Day, which is celebrated around the world. She is a well-respected authority on building resilience and managing organizational change. Through her work as an international motivational speaker and coach, she has worked with global companies in the U.S., U.K., and in the Middle East. She's often called by the media to provide comments around issues of workplace stress and bullying, has appeared on BBC, CNN, and Studio One Dubai, to name but a few. Her latest book, Show Stress Who's Boss, has been translated into Arabic and is available in the United Arab Emirates. Please join me in welcoming Carol Spears. Hi, hello. Carol, thank you so much for joining me from your office in London. I'm so excited that we're able to have this conversation. I want to just jump right in. You know, this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, I think I'll go with the second part first, actually, Robbie. And thank you very much indeed for the invitation. Um, I think I first realized, realized I had the skills to lead when I was about six years old in the playground. And it was always me that I actually had to do something and make decisions and tell my friends what we should be doing or where we should be going and the reasons why we should be doing it. And then talking to the teachers accordingly. And I, I, I'm not sure if I remember that or my friends remember it, but the friends I still have from that time, all that time ago, say to me that, yeah, you were always a leader, Carol, for goodness sake, didn't you realize that? <laughs> and so I think that that was really from, from knee high. And I think that part of that is to do with you know, your parents your background, your upbringing, but that certainly it was, it's, it's in the DNA. I, I know no other way. Um, and for my mind, leadership is about when you want to get some things done, you do it. It's finding the avenues to make sure you can get those things done. And then knowing as a leader that you can't necessarily do everything alone because we all have our strengths and weaknesses is actually knowing the right people to have with you. And the leader is the person that leads, but knows that actually the people following them are every bit as integral to the team as they are at leading them. Absolutely. I love that you brought us all the way back to the playground when you were six. I had a guest on the other day who talked about her first leadership was being the older sister, the the bossy older sister. And it wasn't necessarily the best um, 
ways of being a leader. Do you feel like your leadership has evolved over time? I think it has. I mean, I know it has. And I don't think I ever really appreciated as as a child and as a teenager uh, that I was a leader. It just came, and it's one of those things, Robbie, that just came naturally to me, and I knew no other way. And I've always been the person who, when something happened and some crisis happened, you get over it, you deal with it, you learn from your mistakes if you've made them, and you move on. And it's almost as if it's something about me as an individual that drives, I'm I'm a driver, I'm a driver of myself and I know I'm a driver of others as well and I'm very fortunate and very blessed to seem to have the capability to get people on you know to where I am and what I'm doing and uh, get and you know I'm seem to have the capability to get buy-in to, to others and to get them to follow and I don't necessarily start out like that I start out thinking well I think this is important and I'm going to do something about it and I've always been one for raising the flag and campaigning and uh, and then I turn around and there are other people saying hey wait 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 Carol wait wait whoa wait for me and we're coming with you and I take that as a great it's a privilege actually to have those those skills to do that and there's plenty of things Robbie I can't do believe me there are but I know I think as a as a leader you know the things that you can do and you know the things that you can't I love that piece around buy-in because if you're if you're leading and no one's following, then you're not leading, right? Like the, ev- the evidence is that people are saying, "Hey, hey, wait a second, Carol, we want to come with you. Yeah. Tell, tell us what what to do." And I do think that in the moments of crisis, in particular, it sounds like you have a very calm head. You know, you'll you'll think your way through it. You'll get everyone else to kind of organize around a crisis. I, I you know, your topic is stress and stress management. I can't think of a time when that wasn't an important issue, but it's becoming even more so, particularly around the workplace stress and the bullying piece that I know you talk about. Uh, We now just have so many more inputs and it's just hard for our brains to manage all of it. At what point did you realize this was something you wanted to put attention and focus into? That evolved over a period of time. My background in studying was in psychology. I trained to be a counsellor many years ago, so I've always been in the caring and supportive um, HR profession. And then I was a Samaritan for over 20 years, and a Samaritan is our national, is a, is a worldwide crisis line, and I worked on the phones as a volunteer for many, many years. And at that time, I set up the Carol Spears Group, and you're going back now nearly 30 years ago when actually stress wasn't the profile where it is today. Today it's high profile and mental health is high profile. And it doesn't mean we haven't got a long way to go, but it is pretty, it is high profile. But when I set up the consultancy um, in the late 1980s, it wasn't where it is today. Then it was quite innovative. And again, being an entrepreneur, I had this idea about how can I bring my skills and my, my strengths to industry and hopefully offer them something that would be helpful and useful to them. And as I was a counsellor, I thought, well, how can I take counselling into industry? And to start off with, I sort of started knocking on doors at that time and saying, I've arrived, I'm a a counsellor, I've come to help you. And of course, nobody was interested in the slightest. Um, And then I realised quite quickly, actually, that stress was being talked about, but only only in a very small way at that time. And I decided that I was going to take the model that I'd learned of counselling into industry and see if I could actually kick open a few doors by doing that. 
And, you know, it didn't happen just like that, Robbie. It really didn't. People say to me, oh, gosh, you know, ha- did it happen quickly? And the answer very simply to that is, no, it didn't happen quickly. It took tenacity. It took commitment. It took dedication. And sometimes just being sort of bloody minded to say, you, you know, things went wrong. Yes. What was the learning that came out of that? And things don't work and you have to start again. But that's a part of leading and doing. So heading up my own business was really, it suited my skills and it suited my skill set insofar as there I was able to do something which was for me, was was a big risk at that time um, in actually doing that because I always worked in the voluntary sector. And here was I now turning up into the corporate sector saying, I think that this is really important and what I'm saying is important and industry there was a great there's a need for managing stress even those years ago. So if we fast forward to where we are today, it's dramatically changed. But I have to say, Robbie, people are people. So whereas they were as they were in the late 1980s and 1990s, um, there, there is still stress, the huge stress in industry today. And you mentioned workplace bullying. Yes, it's um, it's rife in industry today. Mm. I, You know, what I love about talking to you is that I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs who are about, you know, five to at most 10 years in, and a lot of them made their way in in an online business setting. So to speak to someone who really has had a career doing this, who can speak to, you know, that part in the very beginning when it was really hard and you were trying to frame even what you offered in a way that would be receptive to other, other people would hear it and be like excited about it and how it's iterated and evolved all these years and to see your success in a 30-year sort of lens, right? And now, you know, now you're an established authority. Um, you, you know, the overnight success, 10 years in the making kind of thing, you know, like, um, and now all that time is paid off. So, so these days, what do you find most rewarding about the work you do? I think that I seem to have been born with the important, with the, the, with the feeling inside that I need to make a difference. And I, I feel that very strongly. As, as much as I did 30 years ago, I feel it equally as strongly today is that if I, 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 I've, I've been blessed uh, with being able to speak. I'm not saying the greatest speaker in the world, but I can open my mouth. And as I say, there's lots of things I can't do. But nevertheless, for me, if you're able to speak, then we then in some ways we have it as a role and responsibility that we do that and there are many people that I've seen around the world over countless years who unfortunately have such an important story to tell and such uh, emotions to talk about and feelings and things that have happened to them but sadly and unfortunately they can't speak up for themselves and so therefore I, uh, I look at those people and think to myself well if I'm able to speak then I should be then they, they deserve a voice they need a voice and it's my privilege to sometimes think to myself it's you know, it's a privilege for me to actually be able to stand up and speak and sometimes in their voice you know I work with people that are experiencing severe levels of stress I work with people who've experienced bullying I've worked out over the years in war zones I've worked out over the years in prison services places where people don't necessarily go and it has been what well, I've been driven certainly I've been driven and committed to try 
try and find the people that need that voice and to do my very best to speak in their voice. I can't be them. I know I can't be them, but I do my best to listen to what they say, to empathize to in where they are, and to actually think, no, this is important and you do need a voice. And I will do my very, very best to deliver it in a way that I hopefully you'd be happy with what I'm saying. Mm, that's really powerful. I one piece I noted when I was learning more and more about your work was the cultural piece that you um you're you know I'm speaking to you in London but it sounds like your work has had a real international reach and that you've been able to bring your coaching and your speaking to places that maybe people wouldn't think about um like the Middle East and uh like prisons how, how do those sort of opportunities present themselves you know something, Robbie, it's like a lot of things. Opportunities don't present themselves. You have to look look for the opportunities. I work out, one of the things that I do pro bono is working out in the South African townships. Again, it was, uh, I was out there on holiday one year with my husband and with something that we actually, we wanted to do. We were looking for something and we found an opportunity. We found a charity to work with. The work that you mentioned in the Middle East is my, is my work, is my corporate work. And I've been working out in the Middle East with the C-suite team now for countless years and uh, again a great satisfaction working with a group of people who really need the skills and when I started working out in the Middle East you're going back now sort of about 12 14 years ago I was been working obviously in London for many many years and I was on a speaking tour at that time and went to Dubai and fell in love with it and then I went to Abu Dhabi and I got on extremely well with a lot of the people out there. And they were saying to me, Carol, we really need what it is that you're offering, the skill set that you're offering. We need to improve our ways to manage stress. We need to improve the ways that we communicate. We need to improve the ways that we speak up in public. Can you help us? And I've always been a bit of a sucker for, can you help me? And it's uh, and, I, and I would say, yes, I can. And it was that that gave me a tremendous sense of satisfaction to go out there not knowing one soul uh, about, let's say, 12, 14 years ago and growing the business out there and growing the UAE into another business hub. And it was a great, a very exciting time for me. I remember my management team saying to me at that time when I came back after being in Dubai and I said to them, you know, saying, I'm going to put down roots in the Middle East. And they say, in, in Dubai, and they say, what are you going to do that for? You don't know anybody. And the answer was, no, I didn't know anybody. But then I didn't know anybody in London many, many years ago when I set up the stress consultancy. And I think in a way that I was looking for another challenge. And it has been a most rewarding decade of my career because I knew not a soul. And I had to start from scratch again, which is quite a, quite a consideration. But I chose to do that. And I have learned so much from working with the Emirati culture, the different cultures within that, the Indian culture, the Pakistani culture, uh, the Asian culture. I've learned so much. And what I learned over that time, you can't get in a book. You have to actually be out there, work with people, make mistakes. Yes, I did. Uh, and uh, and actually grow because of those. And yes, and I and, and opening the business hub out there, it has been a very, very satisfying time of my life. That's that's awesome. I I've uh, taken an interest in thinking about networking in different spheres. And my you know, my book is about conferences and the, the book that I'm going to be working on next is around uh, what we could do to diversify our network because I think a lot of C-suite um, folks just don't have a very diverse network and that's part of the the challenge when they go to hire 
They don't have people within their network that they can to turn to that don't look like them. And it sounds like you went the opposite direction <laughs> and thrust yourself into a cultural change where you didn't know anybody, um, where you had to learn a lot of you know cultural norms and 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 uh, culture differences and that kind of thing. And you're able to now, like your it sounds like your professional network must be just so interesting and have so many different perspectives in it. Is this, am I, am I saying, is it true what I'm saying that you have this sort of wide array of perspectives and people? I think that the, the richness of a diverse culture is immeasurable and so invaluable. And I think working out in the Middle East as I have done has really taught me that. And I couldn't have, I couldn't have done that by being behind my desk or speaking on platform in the UK. I could not have learned what I learned without actually traveling and be there, being there. And I love traveling. I love, yes, meeting new people, but it's more than that. It's getting under their skin, meeting new people. Hello, how are you? Shaking their hand and moving on. I'm, I'm not into the numbers business of how many people I can shake hands with. I'm talking about actually getting to know a culture, getting to actually find out what makes it tick, actually getting underneath their skin. And I was very, I was very uh, privileged again to be invited to. I was, in fact, a business columnist for Gulf News for eight years in in Dubai, and that was quite a challenge every week for eight years to have to write a column on managing stress in the workplace. And it was just very satisfying to receive the comments from people and the gratitude that they had in terms of the expertise that I gave to them. And they gave to me as well. You know, this is two-way traffic, Robbie. This is not just, yes, I give to them. But the the learning and the growth that it gave to me was absolutely immeasurable. Yeah. And it sounds like you also had a willingness to go and do that. Did you have other experiences earlier in life that gave you some confidence that you'd land on your two feet going into a new situation like that? I think that I mentioned before that I used to work in the prison service, which I did. So there were experiences. Then this is all pro bono work and going to meet people again in another culture. Working in the prison in the prison service is completely is another culture unto its own, and that was quite awesome in its own way. And I say awesome is not quite the word right word, but it was quite a challenging challenging experience. It certainly was that. I mentioned before I worked out in war zones, which I did in the 1990s. I worked out in the former Yugoslavia. And again, I saw what was going on at that time in Yugoslavia and thought I was a post, I am a post-trauma debriefer and thought, what can I do to help? Well, I made contact with the Red Cross and they said, come out here for a year and you, we can probably, you know, look, do something, you can do something with us. I didn't have a year. I had a short amount of time. I had a business to run and kids over in, the, in, the, in London as well. So I said, I've got a short amount of time. They weren't interested. So I had to find other opportunities and I did find them. And I worked out with some of the humanitarian aid workers and the George Soros Foundation and Befrienders International in uh, Novi Sad in Serbia during the Civil War. And again, working with people who were actually counseling and supporting refugees at that time was, again, you, co- you couldn't read, you can read about this, this kind of experience, but you actually have to feel it and to have been there and to have known what it was like. And I have to say then coming back to the business, business in some ways became quite tame in comparison and I'd, I'd go out to Yugoslavia and be working with the, some of the refugees and then come back to London and somebody would be 
talking about the stress at work and I'd be thinking, oh, for goodness sake, you know, like, you know, get a life. <laughs> you had to actually somehow, I had I had to adjust. It wasn't their fault. It was where I was. And it was the perspective of where I was. I had the, the rockets going overhead and I was working with the refugees and I'd come back to London and somebody in my office would say, somebody's taken my stapler. And I think, oh, please, for goodness sake. Um, so, you know, you have to actually get grounded. You really do have to do that. And wherever I've worked with people in other countries and you hear their problems and their challenges, it's very important then to take that on board. I really value the experiences. Hopefully I've helped them in some small way in their lives. And if by speaking on platform or talking to somebody one-to-one, it's helped them one small amount in their life. And if something I've said has made a difference to them in any kind of way, then I am totally, totally privileged. And I know I'm honored to do that. So earlier, Carol, you you uh, referenced a couple of times that you're not great at everything. There are things you're not good at. Mm. So I'm curious, as you were building your business and as your you know, business is evolving and you had all these different opportunities and challenges in front of you, what is something that you're not good at? And, ha- and then how did you overcome that? Okay, you've assumed I've overcome it. All right. <laughs> um, Work around okay. it, over it, through yeah, it. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you. Okay, you want the one? Spreadsheets, finance, anything to do with numbers. I hate numbers. I absolutely hate numbers. I know my times tables. I can do them up to 12 all the way through. Uh, that's because I memorize them. I hate figures. Um, it's not about finance. It's not about making money. It's not about that at all. It's actually my brain doesn't seem to be wired to actually enjoying numbers. I, yeah, I'm numerate, I can add up, and it's not a problem, but I don't enjoy it. So I push myself into that comfort zone if I have to go there, but I come out of it very, very quickly. So do I know there's plenty of stuff I can't do. So mainly it's to do with, it's to do with figures. And I build around me. So how do I overcome that? Not by learning it myself, because I don't really need to do that. I bring in other people. I bring in the, the best people around me who are good at that. And it's really not no leader can do everything. And we really can't. And I think that I, I certainly can't. So therefore, as far as figures are concerned, if you give me people, if you give me anything where I can actually get stuck in a crisis situation, uh, take control of something, lead people through through adversity, bring them out the other side. Yes, I will do that. And I will give it everything I've got 150%. Just do not give me a spreadsheet. <laughs> I know you love, but it's true. <laughs> you're not the first to talk about it this way. I think. Th- I feel better. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, these are different parts of the brain, you know, and the fact that if you had to choose of keeping your head during a crisis situation and being able to make sense of a, a balance sheet, I think that you you landed in a good place. <laughs> I can't even. I can't even handle the word balance sheet. Like, you know, I, I look at it. I look at it, and sometimes I, I, my 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 bookkeeper says to me, she shows it to me because she shows she shows show it to me, and then she says to me, Carol, I think you're glazing over. I said, No, no, of course not. I understand it totally. And when she leaves, I think to myself, Oh my gosh, what have I just said? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why you have to be surrounded by good people. Exactly, so, and know the right people that you need yeah. to fill the gaps. Just fill the gaps. The gaps. Mm-hmm. So part of being an entrepreneur and even if you were, you know, working at a regular job and didn't have so much travel, there's there's just a lot to balance. Um, I think balance is not quite the right word anymore. Maybe it's integration or maybe it's just called life. But when do you know 
you're not working? Like what is what does not working look like? When you say not working, do you mean I'm actually physically not working or when something's not working for me? Um, when you're actually not in your business mode, when you're somehow off. Oh, oh that now that's a difficulty. <laughs> yeah. That is a difficulty. And as a stress consultant, I really should not say this. And I shouldn't say this. It's probably going to go out to one or two people listening. Um, my, this is my challenge. I love what I do. And I love what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. And I'm so strongly driven to do what I do that my work becomes my life. And I know if I was talking to you, Robbie, and you said you're experiencing stress, I'd say, Robbie, the first thing you need to do is get a work-life balance, which means when you're not at work, you close the door of the office and you don't actually you know, listen to your emails and all of that. And I, do, I, I, I can say that to you and it's the right thing to not say it to a client. I will do it for myself. I do switch off. I absolutely do switch off, but nevertheless, so therefore I won't look at my phone. I'll switch off from my phone. I won't look at my emails. I can do all of that. But then I suppose, and I don't feel guilty about not doing it because what I do is the technique is, is I compartmentalize. So I'll listen to classical music. I'll go and listen to Leonard Cohen, who I love and adore and so sad that he died. And he will actually take me back to the places where I want to be in terms of taking my mind somewhere else. So I can do that and I have the capability to do that. And it's called compartmentalizing. And I switch off and I'm with the kids and that's it. Switched off. I'm with kids and we're playing and we're doing all sorts of stuff. Um, but then because I love what I do, I do get drawn back into it. And because it's my business and I take it so seriously and because I'm always wherever I am, I'm seeing opportunities. I may go out with the kids and I'm not looking for opportunities, but somehow I've just created something and something's happened and I've spoken to somebody and I've given them a business card. And, you know, I wasn't expecting to do that at McDonald's, that kind of stuff. But, you know, around every corner is an opportunity. And there's no question of the fact it's this law of attraction. I know I'm drawn to them or they're drawn to be who knows what it is, but that is the case. So to answer your question, I do switch off. I do compartmentalize. I love going to the opera. I love going to concerts. I love my Leonard Cohen. And my phone is everything to me because I have my pictures and my music and I can turn off, switch off from the world. Mm. It's kind of nice to hear you um, share that that's a challenge for you because I think many people listening, including myself, find that particularly when you're doing work you love. And it's and it's it's something you you know it's going to have a big impact on the people that you serve, and you just put your all into it. So it's always I used to ask more about like what does self care look like for you, which I'll follow up and ask you that question. But I've I've learned to start by asking people, when do you know you're not working? Because uh, when do you know that that you're off uh, in that way? Because I think that's sometimes harder for people to say. But do you have any uh, morning routines or any kind of ongoing practice that helps you sort of manage the stress of, of being a business owner? Yes, I do. I, I really do. I'm pretty, I am very disciplined. So my, my husband will tell me, um, I'm very disciplined. I'm very organized. So I'll get up in the morning and I will do Pilates. I will do that first thing. And then I'll get myself into the office and I'll always drink loads and loads of water. So I've sort of drunk pints of water by the time I get into the office. I never drink coffee. I never drink tea. So I'm, a, I'm a water girl the whole time. And during the day I will stretch. I will move my body. I will walk. I do quite, 
lot of walking and I'll make sure that I walk around the office and get out of it and go for a walk, particularly at lunch times, and do that. So I am aware, I'm very aware of my body and what it needs. And, you know, I talk to other people about the body being a machine, which it is. The body needs looking after, which you have to do. And so whether we all say we love what do we do and we're very lucky and we're very blessed to love what we do, you still need to switch off from that and have a break and to do something else because that's what the body needs. It needs to, it needs to refuel. You need to recharge your batteries and we need to all do that. So for me, I may say I love what I do, but there are times when I have to say, do you know something, Carol? Now it's enough. You may love what you do, but really now is the time to stop and you don't do that and you close your office door and you go door and you go and do something else. And I don't sit there in the intrusive thoughts about like I must do this and I must do that. I go to sleep. Uh, my big thing for me is, is that I have to have my sleep. So therefore, if I don't get my sleep, then I'm not very good on platform. I say not very good. I just, I do it. Of course I do, but I don't feel as good. I don't feel as energized. And so therefore, um, I need my sleep. So I know what my body needs. It needs to eat the right foods. It needs to exercise and it needs a fair amount of sleep. If I don't get that, then it wouldn't be a happy body. And I want to get the most out of my body as I can, which means I have to look after it, which is what I do. Did this, does this practice evolve over time? Like, like what did you start with? And was sleep the first thing you paid attention to? And then you kind of added other practices over yeah, time? Sleep. I knew how I knew how many hours sleep I need. I need at least seven hours sleep a night. If you give me eight or nine, I love it. But I can manage on seven. But don't give me six. I'm not very happy. So the one of the most important things is for people to know how many how many hours. Not how many hours do they function on, but how many hours do they need. And I know what my body needs. Not everybody does, but I, I know what my body needs. So I knew that first and foremost. And then also, as far as eating is concerned, as you get older, uh, uh, your metabolism slow, slows up, and so therefore you. Need need to exercise you need to eat the right foods and if you don't eat the right foods then you're not going to burn off your calories if you don't burn off your calories you're going to start putting on weight and I'm fanatical about my weight my kids are fanatical about their weight I don't know where they get it from but of course it's from me and so and of course they're thinner than I am which I hate of course but my kids are much younger than me so it's okay um, but I am fanatical about my weight and so therefore it's like if you don't want to put on weight, Carol, then you have to eat the right foods. And it's just, that's how it is. And people say to me, oh, Carol, you're so thin. How do you manage it? You know, you're so lucky. And I say, do you know something, guys? This is nothing to do with luck. This is pure discipline. And you know the cream cakes that you're eating and the gattos that you're eating and the uh, profiteroles that you're eating? Well, I quite like some of those as well. They say, well, I'll just eat it. Have it, have it, have it. I'll say no. And it doesn't mean I don't sometimes have something. Of course I do. Um, but overall, I am very disciplined in, in what I eat. And I, I, would, I wouldn't question, not question of feeling guilty. I've now got to the stage where I don't even like sweet foods particularly because my body is so used to not having them. So really, to come back to what you said, it's discipline. Uh, it's discipline, discipline, and discipline. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and probably a, a little bit of planning too, so you're not caught off guard. Yes. Yeah. So this podcast is about leadership and networking. So uh, w earlier we were talking about just how vast and diverse your network has become over the last you know three decades of of working professionally. Uh, I'm curious what you have done uh, to nurture your closest connections, or even like the next layer out, the people that you you're fond of but you don't work closely with. Like, are you purposeful in how you stay connected and sustain those? those uh, connections? 
The answer to that is yes. And I use the word that you just used. Um, I am endlessly curious. And if you're curious about people and if you are interested and if you're an interesting person yourself and you're interested in other people, then people will be drawn to you. So you said to me, do I purposefully keep in contact with people? The answer is yes, I do. Because not because I'm trying to sell to them because I'm really not. But I suppose, again, I'm driven by what I believe is an important message of helping people, helping people to balance their lives, helping people to manage stress, manage organizational change, manage workplace bullying. For me, those are really important uh, messages. And as I said before, if I can help one little tiny bit, then I take that as an honor to be able to do that. So therefore, I I like keeping in contact with people, growing my network from here around the world, uh, because it's different for everybody. So whether I'm helping somebody in a South African township or working with somebody in Dubai in in, in, in a C-suite team uh, director in Dubai from one extreme to another, if there's a little something that I can do to help either of them in a different way, then that's what I do insofar as, yes, it's purposefully keeping in contact and maintaining that contact with them. Do you have any systems that you use to keep track of of when you last spoke to someone or who you want to reach out to in the next month? Well, I'd like to say I keep a complete dossier of everybody, but I don't. <laughs> what we do is it's very simple. I keep it, I keep everything simple in the office. Um, is that we send out a bi-monthly newsletter. I try and write something of hopefully of benefit and that's useful. I write in bite-sized chunks because that's how people read these days. They don't like not they don't want long diatribes anymore. So therefore everything's written in bite-sized chunks. Um, and I'm used to writing that for the newspapers. And so therefore it's a matter of writing in a way that hopefully something, maybe something I said, brings about a spark in something t- to them, and maybe it can make a difference in a small way to them. Whether it's a tip, whether it's a strategy, something I experience, which I will pass on to them. And so therefore. In that way, you're hoping that that can help them, you know, that can make a little difference to them. How do uh, introductions play out in your in your work? I imagine you meet a lot of interesting people that you're thinking, oh, these two should know each other. Do, does that ever kind of happen? Is that something organically that's happening? You mean I introduce one person to another? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love doing I love doing that. I, I imagine. <laughs> oh. That's just joy. It's like, you know, somebody is even like if you want a plumber, you know, oh, you need a plumber. I've got the best plumber for you. And it's like, you know, my goodness, I don't get anything out of this and I don't want anything. But I just love that helping people to grow, because if I know somebody and somebody mentions to me something about, I say, oh, you must speak to this person or you may speak to that person. And to get that connection, it's not easy. You know, we think it's very easy to connect and we know LinkedIn makes it very easy to connect these days. And it is, you can get to the CEO here and a CEO there. We understand that. But sometimes personal introductions are really meaningful. And if I know somebody that I think could be helpful to somebody else, it's almost like I'm looking for those opportunities all the way around. And I'll say, I think I know something that could actually be of great benefit to you. Or like, you just might get on well with. 
and you might like chatting with them. And why don't you just, you know, have a conversation and see where it takes you? And then the greatest thrill, Robbie, is when they get back to me maybe a month later, say, well, I met up with Mary and she's great. How did you know we were going to get on so well together? And I'll say, you know, just gut feel told me that you're going to get on well together. And they say, oh, she's so lovely. And that to me is the greatest joy. So to make things happen, I love making things happen. Yeah, I the uh, power of making those kinds of introductions, it's it's just a wonderful thing to do. It sounds like you're a natural connector and you're you're curious and you're drawn to people and they're drawn to you. So it's great that you're you're the hub. And and the fact that you've expanded your own network so purposefully really means that your your hub's just that much bigger, right? Like the people you're able to connect are so much bigger. So I, I have a question about getting started in all of this. And um, I always frame this to be about you, but you could also be with someone else getting started. You know, if, if you were to give your 25-year-old self advice about getting, uh, you know, building a really strong, supportive professional network, like what in particular would you be encouraging yourself to do to build that kind of supportive professional network? Okay, I'm going to go back to something that you said and I said as well, which is to be endlessly curious, which is always to be looking for opportunities, looking around the corner, seeing what's there, um, looking behind what is actually on the surface and thinking a little bit deeper as to what could be underneath. As a person, to be... Uh, interested in another human being. And I mean really being interested, which means to ask the right questions, to be attentively listening to that person. You know, so many people meet people and say, well, I didn't get anything out of them. But actually, they never got to know them. First impressions aren't always accurate. So actually to be interested in another human being is what I would say to somebody. And it's quite difficult today because everything is so fast moving because we have, you know, Twitter is fast moving. We have followers. Do we really get to know our followers? They're here today and gone tomorrow. They go somewhere else. So I'm saying it's we really, the, the pressure is on us today to be genuine, to be authentic, and to actually really believe in making making things happen, as I said, to be, be, be interested in another human being, what makes them tick. I'm a firm believer, and this is what I'd say to anybody, is that everybody has something to offer. And sometimes you say that to an individual who has a very low self-esteem, and it's almost like they then spark, almost like they look at you and thinking like, I have something to offer. And the answer is, yes, you do. You may not have tapped into it. You may have not found it yet. Everybody, including you, has something that you that's something to offer. And that's what I think I'd say to somebody, which is to get underneath people when you meet them. People are what makes this world tick. Technology is there. Technology is great. Technology fails us. Technology doesn't fail us. It's the usual things. And, you know, we've all got attention spans of like a few seconds here, there and everywhere because we get so many emails and everything else around us. But actually, face to face, connections, talking to people, getting under their skin, getting to know them, seeing what value. Everybody has a value. Everybody has something to offer. Every has, everybody has something to say. And if, you, if they can't say it for themselves, I said it before, then actually say it for them because what they've said almost certainly is of value to somebody else. The, the pieces of you being a motivational speaker are coming through. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's very clearly a part of who you are is to really empower people to, to share themselves, to share their story. And, you know, the, the, 
the piece you said about the meeting in person, I want to underscore that because while I love technology and all the different ways we're able to, I mean, here I am in Boston, Massachusetts in the US and you're over in London, UK, and we're able to have a conversation. So I love technology, but uh, I, I think there's nothing that's going to ever replace the the just the power of being able to speak to someone face to face. And it's an art form that we're slowly uh, losing. And it's something I'm personally working really hard to teach people about how to make the most of those opportunities. And you and I had a chance to actually meet in person at a conference. So I think, you know, being curious and tying that to going to places where like-minded professionals will be so that you have people that you want to be around. I think that's like, they're being convened. Go be curious and connect with your people in person. So what a great way to start a career if people really to take that kind of advice to heart. I'd also add on to that is that if you're starting out at a career, you need to know, even though it may, it may change over the years, you need to know where you're going. Because if you don't have, a, if you don't have some kind of a map, <clears throat> you don't know and you don't know where you're going, then you're not, never going to know whether you actually get there. And I'm not saying it's not going to change over the years because where you think you're going to go may, may change. And it certainly did for me. But I think you need to have some kind, you need to have a, a framework. And this is where it comes back to me sort of being organized. You need to have a framework and an idea to know where it is. Everybody has potential. And so many people don't think they have sufficient potential. And they're never going to make it they're not going to go in any they're not going to actually do anything in their lives and it's part of the reason is because no one's ever told them they can you know they were told as children like you know you, you're never going to make the grade you're never going to do this you always you flunked your exams and that's what they live with and so I have to spend so much time trying to empower people to start believing in themselves and to go back to thinking that they have self-worth and another aspect I'd say to somebody starting out is this which is to mix with the right people and uh, we've already mentioned mentioned the fact is, is that I like to uh, have somebody, people around me who are numerate, which is great, and who can do finance. But actually, when you're starting out, find the right people, find the people, find the people who are going to be your dream team. So in your dream team is going to be who? It's going to be different people that help you grow in one way. You may have somebody that's great to listen, who's a great listener. You may somebody may have somebody in your dream team who's going to be a great advisor. Somebody else may be a family friend, family friend. It doesn't matter who they are, but know who it is in your dream team because that's what you need. It's very hard to do this one alone. And people need people. And whether we've got this technology or that technology, yes, you and I met at a conference. It was great to meet you. And now we're doing this. But actually, you have to actually seek out people and to say, this is somebody I want to speak to. This is an opportunity to actually get to know them. It is all down to Carpe Diem, which is seize the opportunity. And everybody can do that. So if you're starting out, Find out who are the people who are going to be in your dream team to help you on that path. Mm, I love it. Such good advice. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, because uh, I'm hoping that we will see each other a year from now at the next conference, but when we do have the opportunity to connect again in a year from now, what will we be celebrating? What accomplishments will you have achieved in the year? Hmm. Okay. Uh, well, and something else I didn't mention is I actually head up a charity. I head up a charity called the International Stress Management Association, 
And uh, I set up a, uh, a day which is called National Stress Awareness Day, which for this year and this year, first time ever, it's now become International Stress Awareness Day. <clears throat> and it's on Wednesday, the 1st of November. So if I were to meet you in a year's time, we'd have had another Stress Awareness Day. I'd have grown the association more. We'd have more members. We had raised the flag for speak up and speak out about stress and mental health because that's the flag I want to raise and that's the flag we all want to raise. And I want to hopefully have felt that I've made a difference to other people somewhere in this world and on this universe. Have I managed to touch somebody somewhere and it's made a difference to them? If I've done that, then that year would have been valuable, worthwhile, and certainly very exciting. That sounds amazing. And I hope that we do get a chance to toast to that. So, Carol, how can people find you and follow your work? Okay, well, there's obviously the usual Twitter, which is at The Stress Guru. Uh, website is www.carolspearsgroup.co.uk. That's C-A-R-O-L-E-S-P-I-E-R-S, as of Britney Spears, carolspearsgroup.co.uk. And if anybody actually really does want to join us insofar as and wants to receive our newsletter, it's not lengthy. I write in bite-sized chunks. I write with lots of subheadings. So it just makes it an easy read. I'm a firm believer in getting the information over as easily as possible and as quickly as possible, then by all means, then contact us. It'd be my great pleasure and honor for to actually to have people to follow us. That's wonderful. I will add all those links into the show notes, folks. You'll check it out at ontheschmooze.com. Carol, thank you so much for joining us tonight. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Carol Spears. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 70. That's also where you'll find all the links from today's episode. If you are listening to this podcast and you already understand how critical relationship building is to your success, you go to events and conferences to meet new people and make an effort to stay in touch. Yet, you know that you could up your networking game and turn that stack of business cards you've been collecting into cash, clients, and credibility. You're ready to create a strategic networking plan so you know where to put your limited time and energy and create a system for following up and staying connected. Let me help you transform relationships into business opportunities. Start by reading my best-selling business book, Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences, Purchase it at robbysamuels.com forward slash bookstore and you'll receive all the book's bonuses, including the free audiobook. Would you rather some one-on-one -on -one executive coaching? Email me at robbie at robbysamuels.com and we can schedule a time to chat about personalizing a strategic networking plan for you and a system for tracking your most important connections and, of course, those warm, weak ties you need to keep cultivating. You can also email me to get on the wait list for my next Mastermind Group Coaching Program. If you enjoyed this episode with Carol Spears, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an awesome week.
Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.